0: We've been doing this series called Ancestry.Faith, and then we started in Joseph's life. And so we're going to spend two more weeks looking at Joseph and seeing all these people who we are connected to in the faith. Genesis 42, and we're going to cover five chapters today, but we're not going to read all of them. And I'm actually going to read Genesis 42, 1 through 8, and then I'm going to read Genesis 45, verse 7. And hopefully you did get the email, read through the section, but hopefully if afterwards, if you have not, you'll want to when we're done. We're going to look at Joseph and tension. Genesis 42, 1-8 says, When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my lord, your servants have come To buy food, we are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And in Genesis forty-five, verse seven says, 6 and seven, and do not be distressed or angry." Joseph said with yourselves, "Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life." Let's pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for. Just a chance together, together at the beginning of the week. So just thanks how you answer prayer, how you work in people's lives, how you protect us. So thanks how you use us in other people's lives. So Holy Spirit, I pray just for the next few minutes, just remove every distraction and help us to hear from you. And we would be willing to serve you and follow you and obey you. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A perspective that Christians need. A perspective about life that Christians need. I I think is was said really well by one of my favorite um, pastors of, of old, and he wrote Amazing Grace was John Newton. He said this God works powerfully, but for the most part Gently and gradually. God works powerfully, but for the most part, gently and gradually. And the Joseph account in the Bible is long. It's one of the largest accounts of a person's life in the Bible, and it has a lot to do with time. I mean, there's just a lot of time that gets covered in all these chapters of just hours and years and years and years of time, and a lot of it... If we were in Joseph's situation, or if we are even honest, we would say, it seems like a lot of wasted time. I mean, if God wants to work, why did He take so much time to get that done? The Joseph account is this. It's not just about, hey, here's Joseph, be like Joseph. The reason the Joseph account is in the Bible is because it demonstrates that God's deliverer, which Joseph was, is always rejected first by those who who He comes to deliver. All through the Bible, you'll see that the person that God sends to deliver his people is rejected first by his people. And even Jesus was rejected first by his people. But how does God get his people who are often rebellious to the place that he wants them to be? And God promised Abraham that from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then God said to Abraham, I'm going to take you and I'm going to put your people in Egypt for 400 years. Then I'm going to bring them out. But how does God get rebellious people, and sometimes His people, from the place that they are to the place where He wants them? And how does God get us, who are often rebellious, to the place that He wants us? But more importantly, why should we want to get there God's way? God works powerfully, but for the most part, He works gently, And gradually, and we cannot put God in a box. We can't say this is how always God works. God can do unbelievable miracles. He can turn around things quickly. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. His thoughts aren't our thoughts, it says in Isaiah 55. We can't put God in a box, but if you look at the Bible and if you look at your own life and history, I think it is true that we will see that God works powerfully, but for the most part, He works Gently and gradually. Why does He do it? And what does it look like when He does it? How does He do it? And where do we fit in in that? Because this idea that God works powerfully, but for the most part gently and gradually, you know what that does for us? It creates a lot of tension in us, doesn't it? Because we get all these things that we think is promised to us by God. Things that we want God to do, or things we think that God should do. And we pray for them, and we ask God to give them to us, but they don't always happen right away. So it causes in us these these things that, well, God, you say you're going to take care of me. You say you're going to meet all my needs. You're going to say you're going to provide for me. But it doesn't seem like it's happening right now. So this creates all this tension in us. It creates tension in us personally, in our in our marriages. If it's, if it can create tension in our jobs. What's, where's the job going to come from, God? Or in our parenting, what's going to happen with these kids, God? It also creates tension with our perspectives, where you know this is my idea and it's a really good idea. How come not, nobody else can see that this is a good idea? Why doesn't everybody just see that this is the way it should be? And if they would just see it, it would go so much better. And God doesn't always see it that way. And you may have the greatest idea in the world, but he gets stuck. And you're why? Because God works powerfully, but often and gently and gradually and relationally this causes tension to. You want to get married, you're young, single, you want to follow God, you want to put your, look for someone who's a Christian, so you save yourself from marriage, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you think, really? I'm doing what God told me to do, and I'm not finding the person that God has for me. It causes a lot of tension. This idea that God works powerfully, but for the most part, gently and gradually. But that's true. That's how God seems to work. That's how God seemed to work in Joseph's life. Why does God do that? Why did God work that way with his people, these ten brothers and Jacob, who were the people of God? Pretty rebellious, didn't want to follow God, and God got them to Egypt, the place he wanted them to be. Why does God work this way? Why didn't he just say, listen, I'm God. Get over there. Show him some big sign. Why did it take years and years? Why did he put Joseph through all that stress and tension? This whole passage from Genesis 42 through 45, 44 is really just all about tension. It's really about the brothers and just this tension in their lives. Why does God work this way? God works this way because God is going for your heart. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The situation with Jacob's brother is they they took their brother, who they hated, because God gave him some promises. They threw him in prison. They, They threw him and sold him into Egypt. And for about 20 years now, they're living life. The crops aren't going well. And in verse 42, Jacob says, he learns that there's grain for sale in Egypt and he looks at his grown adult sons who have kids to feed themselves. And he says, why are you standing around here? Why aren't you going to Egypt where there's food? I mean, they had gone to Walmart. they had gone to Arts. they had gone to Aldi. They noticed that the things were getting less and less. They realized that they weren't getting nothing from shopping. And Jacob says, why are you still here? I hear there's food in Egypt. Why don't you go over there? But the reason they didn't want to go to Egypt... And the reason they looked around at each other is they had unbelievably guilty consciences. Because Egypt is where they sold Joseph. And they didn't want to go anywhere. Really, they didn't change at all. For about 20 years, these guys just lived their life. While Joseph's life dramatically changed, the brother's life didn't really change at all. They were filled with stubbornness. They were filled with fear. They were filled with Anxiety because they had this great guilt. They were stalled and stuck. And Jacob said, why don't you go? And they didn't want to go. Their life was stalled. God wants our lives not to be stalled. So He goes after our hearts and He reveals to us that we are guilty. God wants your heart. Your heart is your your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's all of you. It's everything about you. And you can have all the information that you want about God and still be stalled. There is an abundance of information about God. We are in an unbelievable world where if you want to know something about God, there's a Bible study for it someplace. You can watch it on the Internet. You can learn any teaching you want. And everybody's about information. That's not how it was 90 years ago. There wasn't this much information, but what they did have was time. Now there's all this information, but there is very little infiltration in our lives sometimes. We don't take the time to let it soak in. And these guys were stalled this way. They had these guilty consciences. God's going after your hearts because their hearts were filled up with hatred for Jacob, filled up with all these other things that God did not want them filled up with. And your heart's what determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence for float, from, for from it flows, the spring of life. Guard your heart. What is your heart filled up with? You're praying. You're struggling. You want God to do something in your life. Doesn't seem like it's happened. Seems like you're stalled. God may be stalling you because He's trying to reveal to you that your heart is filled up with everything but Him. That you've got sin that's not taken care of. You have this guilty conscience. You just you're you're. You're filled up and God's trying to get a hold of your heart. God wants your heart. He was going after the brother's hearts and he's going after our hearts. And what does he do to get to our hearts? God guides the circumstances of our lives. After they finally get Jacob convinces them to go. They go to Egypt. They see Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And Joseph speaks harshly to them. And some people have said, well, this is why Joseph's a bad guy. What what is the powerful working in this is that Joseph didn't kill them on the spot. He was in charge of everything in Egypt, and he didn't wipe them out. He didn't delay them. He didn't refuse them food. He didn't banish them. He didn't kill them because God had been working powerfully in Joseph's life. But he was, God was guiding all the circumstances in Joseph's life, and these circumstances caused great tension for the brothers. And he, Joseph took the brothers and said, "You're spies," and they said, "No, we're not." And they put them in a prison, and they put them in this prison for three days. And God controlled these circumstances, and He put them in places where they could reveal their hearts, and he could see their hearts, and they could see their hearts, and they could recognize where they had gone off the wrong path. And so they're sitting in prison. And verse 20 says, Jacob, Joseph says, hey, bring your youngest brother. And they don't want to do that. And so they're sitting in prison, and they're looking at each other. And verse 21 says, then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered him, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. God started to reveal their hearts to them. They're, They're in this situation where they're stuck in prison, they're looking at each other, and they realize, wait a second, you know why we're here? We're here because God's judging us for killing Joseph off. And then there's more tension. I told you not to do it, you idiots. And now they're stuck with each other. And God will put us in places of recognition. But God will put you in a situation where you have to realize, hmm, maybe I'm not going their direction. I should be going. And then he put them in a place of pressure. Joseph said, bring your brother to us. And they knew that they couldn't bring Benjamin back because he was... Jacob's other favorite son now. He was the last son, and they knew that Jacob wouldn't want to do that, so they go back, and Jacob wouldn't let him do it. Unbelievable pressure. So much so, when he finally lets him go, his brother, one of his sons says, if you had have let us go sooner, we'd have been back there and forth a couple times by now. But there's all this tension, and God controlled the circumstances of their life, and he put all this pressure on them, and then he put them in this absolute place of powerlessness. They go back to Egypt, They, Joseph says, hey, put their money back in the bags, and then it freaks them out. When they find out they that they have the money, they think, he's going to kill us because he think we stole the money. And then he brings it back again, and then Joseph says, hey, stick my silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And they take off, and then Joseph sends his men out, and he says, hey, you guys, I think stole something. And Joseph, they said, no, we didn't. They open up Benjamin's bag, and there's the silver cup. And they are scared to death. They're absolutely powerless. I mean, Egypt was supreme. These guys are nobodies. And finally, God put them in a place of surrender, because at the end of 44, the last half of that chapter, Judah, who earlier slept with his daughter-in-law, in between the time that he sold... Joseph was an extremely wicked, selfish individual. He makes this unbelievable plea to Joseph, not knowing it was Joseph, saying, listen, we cannot not take Benjamin home. If we don't take our brother back home, it's going to kill our dad. Judah never cared about his dad. He sold his brother. He never cared about anybody. Judah was all about himself. But all through these circumstances that God brought through of being in a place of recognition, a place of pressure, a place of powerlessness, and finally to a place of surrender. God got him where He wanted to be. And Joseph and Jacob, or Judah and his brothers, and Judah was speaking for his brothers, they were finally willing to do the right thing. There's many ways that God will use to get you where God wants you to be. But it's God who's guiding the circumstances of your life. And the question is, will you recognize that? Or will you resist it? There was tons of tension with these brothers. And God says, finally, He got them to the point where they would just be still and know that God is God And you got them to think about their past. Got them to think about the circumstances of their life. That's why it says in Psalms 90, teach us to number our days. Look what God's doing, has been doing, where he's directing you, and let him guide your circumstances. God's going for your heart. And God's the one guiding the circumstances of your life. And God keeps powerfully working, and he's reeling us in. And the way he does it is by governing over us with gospel grace. Joseph sees this great plea from Judah, his brother, and he just can't take it anymore. I mean, Joseph's already cried like three times, walked away, came back. He's overwhelmed that here's the guys that sent me into prison. And he can't take it anymore, after Judah said that to him, and he burst out into tears. and he says, "Get everybody else get out of here?" And he says, "I am Joseph. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive, and he's so excited. And he says to his brothers, "Come near to me." And they came near and he said, "I'm your brother Joseph, you sold him to Egypt." And then he says, "Don't be distressed." I mean, their whole life was filled with tension. And now the guy who could kill them gives us unbelievable grace. Don't be distressed. God sent me before you to preserve life. This was not cheap grace that Joseph gave his brother's. It wasn't that you can just do whatever you want to do, and then whenever you're ready to decide to follow God, He's going to just say, fine, just do it. There's no consequences. There's nothing, there's nothing to it. That's not how God works. God wants your heart. He's controlling the circumstances of your life, and He's governing your life with gospel grace. But gospel grace is not cheap grace. There is consequences to sin. And somebody's got to pay those consequences. And the person who paid the consequences for Joseph's brother was Joseph. He basically gave up his life, being sold into prison, put in a cave, put in uh, in the bottom of a pit, screaming, not knowing what was going to happen to him. Years in prison, nothing from God. Joseph paid a very heavy price for the sin of his brothers. And he gave unbelievable grace. He just didn't give it to them. He didn't make them pay for it. He paid it for them. It's amazing. That's amazing grace. That's not cheap grace. That's gospel grace. Now, Joseph is a picture. He's a glimpse of a greater gracious person. I mean Joseph was a great leader. God gifted him greatly, but he was definitely a picture to point us to somebody greater, and he points us to Jesus. But as great as Joseph is, he wasn't perfect. There's a very interesting few verses in Genesis 43, verses 31 through 32. When Joseph brought his brothers back, he took them into his house. He sat them all down by their age, from the oldest to the youngest. They come out and they bring Benjamin, the most food. But this is what it says that the Bible highlights. verses 31 through 32, it says, Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion, grew warm for his brothers, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself, and and, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for this is an abomination to the Egyptians. Isn't that interesting? Very segregated. Joseph was a great, gracious person, but he wasn't the ultimate gracious person. Over a week ago, in Charlottesville, where the evil of racism, the evil of white supremacy, and the evil of violence and injustice showed its ugly face, there was a picture that was taken. It was an African-American police officer standing in front of and protecting a bunch of white supremacist haters who would have loved to have killed him. And he stood there and protected him. He protected them. Joseph's a picture of Jesus. That's a picture of Jesus. And Scott Saul's Pastor Nashville, who also showed this picture last week at the service, and he said this that we need to remember: is that we are more like Joseph's brothers than we are like Jesus, because the reality is we will always be the ones who wish our protector harm, and he will protect us. Anyway, God's going after your hearts. God's going after our hearts. But we will always be the ones who want to hurt Jesus. We're always going to be the ones who are our sins going to kill Jesus. We're always going to be the ones who want our own way. But Jesus is greater than Joseph. And Jesus is greater than this officer. Because Jesus went all the way to the cross for us and gave us unbelievable grace. He took all our sin on Himself. And if we will turn and see that our hearts are sinful and rebellious and wicked, and say, Jesus, I need your help, He will free us and He will rescue us, and then He will continue to guide our circumstances, and He's working in our lives, and He's doing it powerfully, but He often does it gradually and gently. So where do we fit into this, how God works? Is by God's calling you to turn your life to Him. Turn your life to Him. I was out with Micah Bennett and one after one of the fun, Sunday fun days, and the wind had come up and there's a big storm in Lake Holiday, and the, the waves were going. I don't think we were supposed to be on the, light, the lake technically, but we took the kayaks out and we went and followed the current instead of fighting the current, because that makes more sense, doesn't it? And it took us around the lake and we had a great time. We don't always do that, do we? We fight the current of what God's trying to do in our lives. And God just keeps working powerfully, but He keeps working gently and gradually. And He's saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. I want you to turn your life over to Me. Turn your tensions over Just turn your tensions. I'm the one controlling about your circumstances, God says. Just turn your tensions moment by moment over to Jesus. Just do it. And let God lead. That's where we fit in. God says, just surrender. Give me your life. And there will be complications. There will be difficulties. There will be troubles. There will be tension. But I went all the way to the cross for you. And I will bear you up. So turn your tensions over to me moment by moment. Just imagine what your life would be or could be if we do that. God works powerfully, but for the most part, gently and gradually. He just calls us to trust Him and let Him work. Give Him your heart.
1: And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us, oh. Oh, how he loves us, how he loves us all. i How he loves us all How he loves us